one of my favorite things to do at the turn of each calendar year is to read the 70 resolutions written by Jonathan Edwards. Has anybody ever read Edwards' 70 resolutions? A few hands out there. You can find them for free online after the service, of course, not right now. Uh, you can find those for free. You can read through those. These are 70 things that Edwards committed to over the course of, of his life. Uh, he, he wrote these 70 resolutions and then uh, resolved to read them at least once a week to remind himself of, the, uh, himself of the things that he had committed to do. I'll give you a flavor here. Resolution number 37, resolved to inquire every night as I am going to bed wherein I have been negligent, what sin I have committed and wherein I have denied myself. Also, at the end of every week, month, and year. Resolution number 14, resolved never to do anything out of revenge. Resolution number 15, resolved never to suffer the least motions of anger to irrational beings. It's a good one. Resolution number, thir- or number 22, Resolved to endeavor to obtain for myself as much happiness in the other world as I possibly can. With all the power, might, vigor, and vehemence, yea, violence, I am capable of. Or can bring myself to exert in any way that can be thought of. Resolution number 11, this is one of my favorites. Resolved when I can think of any theorem of divinity to be solved. So any anything of doctrine or uh, of theology. Resolved, when I can think of any theorem of divinity to be solved, immediately to do what I can towards solving it if circumstances don't hinder. Wouldn't it be great to be able to do that? Resolved, this is one, honestly, that I try to remind myself of often. This is resolution number 69. He says, resolved, always to do that which I shall wish I had done when I see others do it. Well, whether you yourself engage in some sort of formal resolution making at New Year, or whether you make fun of people who make some sort of formal resolutions at the New Year, there is something in us, isn't there, that desires some sort of of renewal, that desires some sort of growth, that desires some sort of achievement, that desires some sort of of success in the next season of life and the new year as we flip the calendar in our culture is as good of time as any for such considerations. We may desire a a fresh start in some way. We might hope for more discipline in the next year. I know that's one that I'm hoping for. We may desire more stable finances. We may desire healthier eating habits or exercise habits. We may desire better work-life balance. We may desire more intentionality in our relationships with others. We may desire more success in our industry. Well, it can be a good and godly thing to desire reform, to desire renewal, to desire success. Indeed, I think part of what it means for us to, as Christians to faithfully walk with God is to consider the ways that we're walking in all areas of life. And to consider where, by God's grace, we need growth. To consider where, by God's grace, we need strengthening. To consider where, by God's grace, if you will, we need success. 
But, and this is what I want to consider together in the word this morning, there's a way to pursue such pursuit, uh, to, to approach such pursuits that, that would be for your good and for God's glory. And there's a way to pursue such things that will utterly destroy you. There's a way to pursue that, whether you call them New Year's resolutions or whether you're just sensing a need for a fresh start and reform and some sort of growth and achievement in your life. There's a way to do that that is for your good and for God's glory. And there's a way to do that will utterly destroy you. So on this final Sunday of 2023, as we look forward to 2024, I want to consider this together. If you're a resolution person, how to resolve to God's glory. If you're not a resolution person, really for all of us, I want us to be convinced of this. To faithfully walk with God, we must cling to the giver of strength rather than having confidence in our own strength. So I want to consider this morning in God's word to faithfully walk with God. We must cling to the giver of strength rather than having confidence in our own strength. If you have a Bible, turn with me to the book of 2 Chronicles. Chapter 26, not 2 Corinthians. We've been going through Corinthians uh, in the New Testament in our time in God's Word uh, in the last several months. We are going to the Old Testament, the book of 2 Chronicles 26. If you're using one of the Pew Bibles there in front of you, that's on page 377. 377 of your Pew Bibles, 2 Chronicles 26. We'll read uh, the text as we go throughout the, the sermon together. But as we do, if an outline would be helpful for you, going to look at this text in two headings. Number one, prize faithfulness over success and God will be with you. Prize faithfulness over success and God will be with you. Number two, prize success over faithfulness and God will oppose you. Prize success over faithfulness and God will oppose you. So prize faithfulness over success and God will be with you. Prize Success over faithfulness and God will oppose you. First, prize faithfulness over success and God will be with you. Look at the text there starting 2 Chronicles 26 verse 1. And all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king instead of his father Amaziah. He built Eloth and restored it to Judah after The king slept with his fathers. Uzziah was 16 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. His mother's mother's name was Jechaliah of Jerusalem, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord according to all that his father Amaziah had done. He set himself to seek God in the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. We'll stop there for the moment. If you're unfamiliar with this portion of your Bible, we're, we're really toward the end of the storyline of the Old Testament. might not seem like it as you're looking at where you are, but in your Old Testament, the first 17 books of the Old Testament carry the storyline. Really, from beginning to end of the Old Testament is the first 17 books of your Old Testament. And then after that, you've got a bunch of other books. There's, there's poetry books, right? There's, there's uh, Psalms and Proverbs, and there's 17 prophets that you have. So, so really the rest of your Old Testament kind of fit in 
along the way in that storyline that is carried by the first 17 books of your Old Testament. And this book that we're in right now is book number 14 of 17. So we're kind of towards the end of the, of, the, of the narrative of what we see in the Old Testament. And what we really see in these books, the, kind of the first and second books in the Old Testament, first and second Samuel, first and second Kings, first and second Chronicles, is this period where Israel is ruled by kings. We have the three big ones, Saul, David, Solomon. And then after that, the two guys after Solomon split the nation into north and south. And then you see 40 kings, uh, 20 in the north, the northern kingdom of Israel, 20 in the south, and the southern kingdom of Judah. And over the course of those lives of those 40 kings, really starting with Solomon, uh, you see the nation just spiraling downward. You see the nation kind of spiraling out of control. And really that's why God sends all these prophets in the rest of the Old Testament to warn them to turn back to him before judgment comes. So 40 kings in the north and the south in Israel, most of them bad. Most of them just utterly wicked. But... Every now and then, every now and then in this course of seeing these kings that are ruling over Israel, you get a king who is good, or at least somewhat good. The bar is pretty low at this point in Israel's history. Where it's said of the king, what we see there in verse 4 that we read in your text, where it says, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. There's only like seven of the 40 that something like that is said of them. That he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And so here we have with Uzziah one of those lone exceptions in this wicked period of Israel's history where there's a king who does somewhat okay. Doing what was right in the eyes of the Lord. But I want you to note there in your text, look how he's described. It says that he set himself, you see in verse 5, he set himself to seek God in the days of Zechariah who instructed him in the fear of the Lord. So you have some sort of a discipleship relationship going on here. There's this guy, Zechariah, who is instructing Uzziah, and he is setting himself to seek God as long as Zechariah is instructing him. And then it says, as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. So we see there in the text that Uzziah was a guy who sought the Lord. He was instructed in the ways of God. He put himself in a position to have somebody over him to take God's word and give it to him and to share godly wisdom and biblical wisdom with him and God was prospering him in that period just pause there to ask the question do you want success do you want to prosper do you want strength well friends seek God and be instructed in the ways of God seek God and be instructed in the ways of God Seek him and learn what it looks like to fear him and to follow him. You're about to see a resume. We haven't read it yet. We're about to. You're about to see a resume unlike anything you've seen in the Old Testament, except for maybe Solomon. But all of this, all of what we're about to see, all the success that Uzziah is going to have, all of that is extra. It's tangential to. It's added onto. It's a result of this starting point right here. Seeking God. And being instructed in the fear of God. The source of Uzziah's success that we're about to see, it's not traced back to him attending every conference that he could attend. It's not traced back to his education and his resume. It's not traced back to his ability to have just uncanny focus at work. It's not traced back to these internships that he was able to secure externships and clerkships. It's not traced back to his diligence and his determination to work 80 hours a week. 
His success isn't linked to anything like that. His success is linked to the fact that he sought God. That's it. And he was instructed in God's ways. This is Matthew 6.33 stuff right here. Matthew 6.33, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. That's what Uzziah is living out here in these first few verses of 2 Chronicles chapter 26. Now listen, don't, don't mishear me. I'm not saying, nor is this text saying that if you seek God, you will prosper financially, you will prosper physically. You know, if you seek God, everything's going to go your way. If you've been here at Delray long enough, you know that's not the message that we preach. You know that's not the gospel that we hold to. That those who trust God will have everything go their way, health and wealth and all of these such things. I'm not, I'm not saying that this is what, what, what God is promising to do for everyone. I'm saying this is what God did for this man. This is what God did for Uzziah. And the witness of scripture is that it's always good to seek God regardless of what we get in return. It's always good to seek God regardless of what happens physically or materially because he is our true treasure. Knowing him defines true success. We can't live on bread alone. He is enough. So church, do this. This part of Uzziah's life is given as a positive example. You can kind of see we're probably, there's enough foreshadowing to see we're going somewhere else eventually in this text. But this part of his life is given as a positive example. Seek God and allow others to instruct you in following God and in the fear of the Lord. That's what God wants from us. How do we do this? We, we do this through our own personal devotions, our own time in the word. We do that through what we're doing here this morning, gathering around God's word and singing true things to one another and praying with one another, corporately worshiping together. We do this through discipleship and Bible studies that we have where we come and, 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 and try to learn what God has given to us in his holy word together and to, to discuss it together and have somebody teach it to us and have somebody uh, meet with us to learn what does it look like to follow God and imitating godly examples in the Christian life, putting ourselves around such people. This is how we seek God and we're instructed in the ways of God. Whatever your resolutions in 2024 may that kind of picture, that kind of silhouette be the prime thing that you're aiming for. A life of seeking him and of being instructed in his ways. That's the best thing that any of us could resolve for the coming year. All right, watch this. Chapter 26, verse 5. He set himself to seek God in the days of Zechariah who instructed him in the fear of God and as long as he sought the Lord God made him prosper. Now note that final phrase. Again, it's going to come back up again. As long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. A little bit of foreshadowing there of what happens when he doesn't seek God anymore. Hold on to that. We'll see it in a second. But God is making him prosper as long as he seeks him. When he stops seeking him, things will go off course. But that raises a question. Well, in what way did God prosper him? God made him prosper as long as he was seeking him. In what way? What did that look like? Well, I'm glad you asked. I've said this already, apart from Solomon, you'd be hard-pressed to find a more successful guy in the Bible. If you just allow your eye to scan that page from verse 6 all the way down through verse 15, it's just one long string of accomplishments that Uzziah is able to, to, to accomplish in his life. From verse 6 all the way down through verse 15 is, is Uzziah's success. So let's look at this 
together. We'll go kind of quickly through this just to get a feel for it. Verse 6, he went out and made war against the Philistines, and he broke through the wall of Gath and the wall of Jabna and the wall of Ashdod. And he built cities in the territory of Ashdod and elsewhere among the Philistines. God helped him against the Philistines and against the Arabians who lived in Gerbel and against the Menuhites. So you, you see there in the text that, that he is going out and he's making war and he's building cities. We already see he's a military leader and God is helping him. We see conquest here. Verse 8, the Ammonites paid tribute to Uzziah and his fame spread even to the border of Egypt. For he became very strong. So you see Uzziah now, his strength and his fame are growing. He, he now has an empire. People are paying tribute to him. He's famous. He's become very strong. This word is going forth about the way that God is helping him. Verse 9, moreover, Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate and at the valley gate and at the angle and fortified, him, fortified them and he built towers in the wilderness. So we see there that, that he's fortifying these towers. He's a protector of God's people. It's not just towers on the wall in the city but also out in the country as well. He's expanding the net of protection for the people of God and for his people. He's, he's fortifying the city. He's fortifying the countryside as well. Keep going there in verse 10. It says that he cut out many cisterns, for he had large herds both in the Shephelah and in the plain, and he had farmers and vine dressers in the hills and in the fertile lands, for he loved the soil. So now he's getting into public works. He's, fort he's building cisterns, and the cistern was a, uh, kind of a big container to hold water for people and for animals. He's making sure there's enough water. Why? Well, because in addition to all the people that he's shepherding, he also happens to be shepherding animals and he's raising livestock. And, and it's not only that, but now he's into agriculture. You see, he's got vineyards. He's got a fleet of farmers and vine dressers under him. So he, he's a lover of the soil. <laughs> you guys get the picture so far of Uzziah. Military, architecture, protecting, city expansion, water cisterns, flocks and herds, farming and agriculture. You name an industry, he's there and he's at the front of it. Anything else, Uzziah? Well, yes, actually, verse 11. Moreover, Uzziah had an army of soldiers fit for war. In the divisions, according to the numbers in the muster made by Jael, the secretary, and Masae, the officer, under the direction of Hananiah, one of the king's commanders, the whole number of the heads of the father's households, mighty men of valor, was uh, 2,600. Under their command was an army of over 300,000 who can make war with mighty power to help the king against the enemy. So it talks about this massive army at his employ. And then verse 14, Uzziah prepared for the army shields and spears, helmets, coats of mail, bows and stones for slinging. So now he's into industry, isn't he? All the other things that he's done, now he's, he's making stuff. He's working with metal. He's working with wood. He can equip an entire army. And then this next one's my favorite. Look at verse 15. In Jerusalem, he made machines invented by skillful men to be on the towers and on the corners to shoot arrows and great stones. And his, his fame spread far. He's an entrepreneur. He's an inventor. He made some sort of big catapult to throw stones at people and to shoot big arrows at people. Do you see the picture? Military general, architect, shepherd, farmer, agriculture. Metal worker, military outfitter, inventor, 
famous, strong. Listen, I, I don't know what kind of success or notoriety you've accomplished in your field or what you hope to accomplish in 2024, but you ain't Uzziah. This guy was special. This guy was something else. How was he able to do all of this? Verse 15. Verse 15. He was marvelously helped. What does that mean? It means he was marvelously helped by God. God did this. God strengthened him. He sought God and God strengthened him. Everything he accomplished, he would trace back to being marvelously helped by God, being strengthened by God, being granted success by God, being enabled to work by God. Church, you need to realize this about your own success. Your success, your strength comes from another. It doesn't come from you. It comes from somebody else. Some of you are really successful. Whether in our political world or in the military or in the marketplace or in ministry. We have some very successful people here in our church. And your success is meant to point you to the giver of your success. Some of you are really smart, really intelligent. Your intelligence is meant to point you to the giver of your intelligence, to the creator of your brain. Some of you are very hard workers. You have what you have because you've just grinded it out. Disciplined, diligence. Your discipline and your diligence and your energy is meant to point you to the giver of that diligence and that discipline and that energy. Some of you are very athletic. Your athleticism is meant to point you to the giver of your athleticism. And on and on we could go. Now listen, this is true regardless of whether or not you're a Christian. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, we're happy you are here with us. And we want you to know that this is, this is true regardless of whether or not you're a Christian. God is creator. God is sustainer. Every breath you have, you owe to him. And certainly every accomplishment you have, you owe to him and his common grace. That he calls the, causes the rain to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous alike. Uh, that None of this is to diminish in any way the hard work that you've put in, the blood and the sweat and the tears that you've invested. Like, not to diminish the fact that you've worked hard, but it's to acknowledge that the mental capacity and the energy, and emotional, physical, etc. and so on, is granted by God. And because he's given that to you, you are meant to seek him and to search for him. That is, that is a, it's a, it's a little breadcrumb trail meant to lead you back to the one who has created you. The one who has enabled you. The one who has given you everything that you have by his grace. We're meant to search for and to seek this God. To know him. Not to take his gifts and to run off with them and to serve ourselves. But to love him and praise him and to worship him and to point to him as a result. So friend, this morning, would you acknowledge this God? Would you submit your abilities and your strength and your capacities to his service and his glory instead of your own? That's what you're meant to do. That's why he's given you anything he's given you. It's not to say, look at me and look at what I've done. To say, there, there's a God who created and gave capacity and brain power and all that we have. We're meant to grope for him and to search for him and to seek him. And for all of us, God has done this generally, again, for all of us, 
helped us in tangible, observable ways that are meant to point us back to him. And listen, he's uniquely created and gifted each one of us. So he's done that generally for all of us, but he's done it specifically for all of us and Jesus. Right? We, are, we are marvelously helped in the most marvelous way by God freeing us from the prison of attempting to obtain eternal things in our own strength. <laughs> that, that's the way he has, he has uh, ultimately helped every one of us marvelously. You see, God knows that there, there's a disease in us to want to do, to want to work, to want to accomplish, to want to earn, to want to achieve. And when we apply that to, to spiritual pursuit, when we apply that, that drive and that natural inclination we have to do and to achieve and to earn, and we apply that to our eternal standing before God, friends, that way lies death. That way lies madness and failure and inability because we can never do enough. We can never do enough to, to undo the sin that we've committed before a holy and righteous God. We can never do enough to, to bridge the infinite gulf that is between us as sinful people and a holy God. But the good news is that we don't have to. The good news is that Jesus has marvelously helped us by standing in that gap for us, by laying down his life for us, by achieving, by succeeding in a way that we never could. So that we could have true life by trusting and him, that's the good news of Christianity. That's the gospel of Christianity. So friends, as you look at the beginning of this text, I want us to see a positive example here that we are meant to prize faithfulness over success, knowing that God will be with us. Your true success comes from another. It doesn't come from you. And any success and strength you have is meant to point you to the giver of that strength and that success. Prize faithfulness. Meaning just, just clinging to him, pursuing him, seeking him, being instructed in his ways. Do that and God will be with you. He knows what is good and he can provide what is good. We trust him to do that in our lives. Well, Uzziah is amazing, right? Again, there's a lot of gifted people in this room this morning, but this guy. He's done it all. But let me ask you this. How many of you have ever heard of Uzziah before? How many of you, if I were to give a pop quiz before you walked in this morning on King Uzziah, son of Amaziah, son of Joash, would have done pretty well in that exam? Had a few hands go up with my first question. <laughs> Not seeing any now. Here's why. Pick the text back up. In verse 15, his fame spread far, for he was marvelously helped till he was strong. But when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. You see that? Remember earlier in verse 5, as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. And in verse 15, he was marvelously helped. And then we see the rest of verse 15. He was marvelously helped till he was strong. But when he was strong, he grew proud to his own destruction. At the height of his strength, at the height of his power, at the height of his success, Uzziah was struck down by pride. Now we don't see just what yet, but his pride is going to destroy him. His strength is going to slay him. His success is going to betray him. He was so strong 
that apparently he forgot the giver of his strength. So successful that he ignored the giver of his success. The text says that it was God who blessed him and made him prosper. As long as he sought God, God allowed that to happen. However, he chose instead to look inward in his own pride. He took the focus off of God and put it on himself and became proud. And friends, this is our danger as well. Is this not the root of all of our sin? Pride, rebellion. In our pride, we want to take what isn't ours. In our pride, we think we know better than what his word has said to us and told us. In our pride, we grumble and covet and and, uh, try to impatiently reach for what is not ours. In our pride, we are angry. In our pride, we want to call the shots and so on. Well, this is what happened to Uzziah. He grew proud to his own destruction. Okay, well, what specifically did he do wrong? Look again at the text, verse 16. You see there that he, when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. For he was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. He burned incense. Wait, what? You may be like, wait, I was, I was thinking something more sinister was about to be in the text. Right? I was thinking something more heinous than that. He burned incense. Well, what you need to know is that there are specific roles that have been given to specific people called the specific ministry in God's temple. The Levites were given a role of, of serving as, as priests in the temple. They were, they were called to that work by God very clearly with specific instructions. They were called to that work. They were consecrated for that work, set apart for that work. They were instructed toward that work. They were trained in that work. But it's for the Levites to do that. Uzziah is not a Levite. He's not a priest. He's the king, but he's not a priest. He's not allowed to do this. Very clearly in God's word. He is not allowed to go into the temple and to burn incense. That's not his job. So it says there he was unfaithful. What do you think happened to Uzziah? He was so strong and successful that apparently he felt the rules didn't apply to him anymore. You see what happened? He he, he says, I'll do what I want. Maybe you've heard of me. The big catapult thing that's shooting huge rocks at people to protect us, like, that was me. Right? I did that. I'm kind of a big deal. Who's going to stop me? Why does this happen? For him and for us. Friends, success can change us. There are a number of things that scholars have postulated of what exactly went wrong with Uzziah. Let me suggest four of them. Four enemies that I, perhaps one of them attacked him, perhaps it was a combination. Four enemies that will certainly threaten to attack you and me. The stronger and more successful we become. I think this is important, again, because most of you are in D.C. in this area because you're either doing really well or you're preparing to do really well. Right? Promoted, taking a position that will get you promoted. Obtaining a prized internship or externship or clerkship. People are in this area because you're doing well, you're preparing to do well. This is a message we need to hear. 
Enemy number one is forgetfulness. Forgetfulness. The stronger and more successful we become, and the, 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 the further we get away from the time of our own need, the more we can forget that it was God who was our help and who was our strength all along. Some people postulate maybe that's what happened to Uzziah, that he was strengthened by God and there's a forgetfulness that creeped in. And he forgot that the more he achieved, maybe he, he, he was forgetful that it was the Lord who had prospered him. He was forgetful that Zechariah had instructed him in all these ways. And he kind of gathered that knowledge and said, okay, that was great. Thank you very much. Let me kind of go off and do it on my own now. It's forgetfulness. No, enemy number two is complacency. Complacency. Very often the stronger and more successful we become, the more comfortable and the lazier we become. Right? And I'm not talking about just life in general, because successful people will still be very attentive to their work. Lazy people will still be very attentive to their work and their bottom line and their prospects for advancement. Now I'm talking about a spiritual complacency. One in which we are very vigilant in certain areas of our lives, in our work, in our career, maybe even our family where we were once vigilant against sin and vigilant about the things of God, we can slacken in our fight and slacken in our attention. And perhaps this is what happened to Uzziah. He became complacent in all of his success. The third enemy is idolatry. Idolatry. Here's what I mean by that. A, a, a distortion of your loves. Where we were meant to worship and enjoy God first and along with that, have some benefits of success in this life. But give us enough success or enough benefits and we'll start to worship those things and take a little God on the side. Perhaps this is what occurred in Uzziah's life. We didn't read it. There's a parallel passage over in 2 Kings. Very short, seven verses that talk about Uzziah's life. Doesn't give his list of accomplishments. One of the things that we see there is that he didn't take away... He didn't take away the high places. He didn't take away the little idol centers that were dotted, dotting the landscape in Israel. He still allowed some false worship to happen and, and some idolatry to happen. And maybe that crept into his own life where he had a, a distortion of loves. And he started to pursue the, the, the things and the accomplishments and the success. And to have the, the, that whole picture become inverted where that became the primary thing. Rather than his seeking of the Lord, he sought the gifts of the Lord and the goodies from God. Enemy number four is entitlement. Entitlement. As we go along in life, we can begin to feel like we've earned certain rights. Right? Uzziah's like, look at this list of stuff I did. I'm allowed to go into the temple and do what I want. I've had a long day. I deserve to neglect my family. I preached a good sermon. I have a right to neglect other responsibilities. I closed that big deal. I have a right to drink too much at happy hour. I've sacrificed so much, I deserve to skim a little money off the top. I made it through another semester. I've earned the right to sinfully blow off a little steam. You see that we can have an entitlement that creeps in in our lives and say, I've done this. I deserve this. Perhaps that's what plagued Uzziah here in 2 Chronicles 26. Listen, the commonality with all of those enemies and all these 
theories about what happened to Uzziah that scholars wrestle with. There's a commonality for all of it is that we become practical atheists. Become practical atheists. Not, not atheists in our confession. No, we still follow the Lord. We love Jesus. But taking our eyes off the giver of strength, taking our eyes off the giver of our success and putting our eyes on, our, on ourselves, on our own success and our own strength. Well, friends, what do we do about this? Well, we don't stop doing what he did at the beginning. Don't stop seeking God. Don't stop being instructed in the fear of God. Hebrews chapter 3 says this, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an, un an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. That admonition there from Hebrews chapter 3 is really, you can see that that would be great for somebody to enter into Uzziah's story and just say that. Say, say take care, lest there be an evil, unbelieving heart in you, Uzziah. That would cause you to fall away from the living God. Let me exhort you to, as long as it's called today, to not be hardened by sin, to not grow dull in your pride, but to keep seeking God. Keep listening to his word. Keep submitting to it. Keep putting yourself under it. Keep gathering with the saints. Keep exhorting one another. Because, friends, that first enemy of forgetfulness is battled. When we remember who we are, we remember who he is, and we constantly submit ourselves to truth. Right? Personally immersing ourselves in his holy revealed truth that we have in Scripture, in his holy word, corporately gathering around it, reminding one another of truth as we sing truth to one another, as we pray truth before each other, as we gather around his word together. We're reminded of the gospel truth of who we are, that he has saved us while we are still sinners. He sent, God sent Christ to die for us. He's proven his love for us in that. We battle our forgetfulness as we remind ourselves of and rehearse gospel truths. We battle that second enemy of complacency as we remember that life is a, a marathon, not a sprint. And in Christ, we're, we're saved, but we're also saved into a journey of discipleship. We're saved into a journey of following Jesus. Long obedience in the same direction, endurance and perseverance through the ups and downs and the trials and the sins and the struggles and the, 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 the pain of this life and the suffering of this life that we never keep our eyes off of him on the ups and downs. We keep our eyes on the cross and on that celestial city to come. We battle the third enemy of idolatry. As we continue to worship the true God and see our endeavors and our achievements and our accomplishments and our work and our success in their proper context. Not as gods themselves, not as ultimate ends in themselves, but as a way to bring him glory. As, as other good things that he gives us as we seek him first, knowing that all these things will be added to us. We battle the fourth enemy of entitlement. As we allow scripture to correct us, as we allow brothers and sisters in the church to admonish us and rebuke us, as we all gather around and realize that all we have is mercy, all we have is grace. I don't deserve anything that he's given to me. I haven't earned any of this, ultimately. It's all his grace in my life and his mercy. So why would I ever flip the, 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 the picture to think, think that I, I'm entitled to anything other than his sheer mercy and grace? This is what we wish would have entered in and happened in Uzziah's life. That 
we'd see that he was marvelously helped and that would be all there was to it. Rather than in his strength growing proud to his destruction. Well, I'll summarize the rest of the story and what happens in the rest of chapter 26 for us. As with us, being slain in our own strength won't end well. It doesn't end well here for Uzziah. If you look at verses 17 and 18, it says that 80 priests rush in as men of valor. They rush into the temple as Uzziah oversteps his bounds and goes in to offer incense before the Lord. These 80 priests, men of valor, go in to oppose him, to put him in his place. Surely you would think, oh, okay, wait, 80 priests. These are the guys that are supposed to be doing that. 80 men rush in. These are, these are the, the men who God has anointed and set apart and put in this place. Surely Uzziah will be like, my bad. <laughs> Sorry, guys, that wasn't for me to do. This is your job. I'll step back out and take my proper place as king. It's not what happens. It says he grew angry. If you read through the narrative of these kings, anytime one of these kings is rebuked, that's, that's a theme that comes over and over again. King Joash, King Asa, King Ahab. Here, we see it with Uzziah. That when they're opposed with the word of God, they bow up against it. They don't submit themselves underneath of it. They bow up and say, no, 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 we're not having that God. He grows angry when these 80 priests rush in. Instead of repenting, verse 19 says that Uzziah was angry. Now he had a censer in his hand to burn incense, verse 19. And when he became angry with the priests, leprosy broke out on his forehead in the presence of the priests in the house of the Lord by the altar of incense. God strikes him on the spot with leprosy. Breaks out on his forehead. Instead of holy to the Lord written on him, there's leprosy. There's a visible sign of God's judgment on him. And he will be separated from the people, never again stepping foot in the temple for the rest of his life. Living out the rest of his life with other lepers until the day he dies. And his legacy, you'll see in the last verse of the chapter, they bury him and they say he was a leper. Verse 23, Uzziah slept with his fathers and they buried him with his fathers in the burial field that belonged to the kings. For they said, he is a leper. After all that he did, after all that he accomplished, every industry that he stepped into and succeeded, what's written on his gravestone? He was a leper. Actually, in the second Kings 15, again, I told you seven verses. We don't get much on his life. That's basically all it says. He didn't take away the, he sought the Lord, didn't take away the high places, and he was a leper. That's all we get. That's how he's remembered. After all he's accomplished. That's all we got. God struck him with leprosy, his visible judgment on him. Friends, I hope that 2 Chronicles 26 in the life of Uzziah is a sobering story for us to look at this morning. It's meant to be. Sobering, hopefully in a way that's both challenging to us as well as encouraging to us. Because we see a warning, but we also see a promise here. There is a way for us to have success in a God-honoring way. There is a way for us to be strengthened in a God-honoring way. There's a way for us to resolve in a God-honoring way to his glory. To do that, we must turn to him and cling to him and value him and love the true and better king, King Jesus. Listen, it's no accident that King Jesus 
does the exact opposite of King Uzziah. King Uzziah became so strong that he felt he could do whatever he wanted, focusing only on himself and on his own glory. King Jesus, the divine son of God, has all power, and yet he humbled himself, focusing on the salvation of rebels and glorifying the Father. He submitted himself to execution as a criminal in your place, bearing your punishment, that you, by repenting of your sins and trusting in him, could have life. Jesus does the exact opposite of what Uzziah does here. Uzziah says, I've accomplished enough. Look at me. I'll do what I want. Jesus says, I've got all the glory and all the riches in, in, of, of all creation. Jesus, very God, he says, I'm going to humble myself so that you get it. Uzziah thinks he's important enough to take a position not his. Jesus thinks that we are important enough to humble himself from his position, taking the form of a slave so that we could have a position not ours. That's the good news of Christianity. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Faithfulness, friends, for us will look like rightly ordering our loves, all of our goals, all of our desired successes, all of our resolves under and subservient to the lordship of Jesus Christ and being confident that pursuing him is how we're strengthened for any kind of growth that we want to see. It's how we're strengthened for any kind of resolve that we want to have. It's how we're strengthened for any kind of success that the Lord might have for us. Jonathan Edwards actually wrote a preamble to his 70 resolutions. I didn't read it at the beginning. I'll read it now as we conclude. This is how he began his 70 resolutions. Being sensible that I am unable to do anything without God's help. I do humbly entreat him by his grace to enable me to keep these resolutions so far as they are agreeable to his will for Christ's sake. Isn't that a great way to, to conceive of whatever we might accomplish, to conceive of whatever we might resolve? Being sensible that I am unable to do anything without God's help, I do humbly entreat him by his grace to enable me to keep these resolutions so far as they are agreeable to his will for Christ's sake. Church, may that be our commitment for anything that lies before us in 2024. To faithfully walk with God, we must cling to the giver of strength rather than having confidence in our own strength. Church, prize faithfulness and God will be with you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do pray for such strengthening. We do pray for such grace and mercy and whatever we may resolve. Certainly none of us, we, we don't want to plateau. We certainly don't want to go backwards in our sanctification and our pursuit of you and in our, our Christian lives. We, we, want, we want growth. We want sanctification. We want more holiness. We want more Jesus. By his grace, by your strengthening. And so God, would you indeed be pleased to grant that to us. God, help us as we seek you, as, as you have all kinds of lay, uh, things laid out for us, good works that you have marked beforehand for us to walk in. God, would we do that by your power and not by our own? God, may we never stop seeking you and being instructed in your ways. We pray that for 2024 and for all the years that you would give us until Christ returns, until you take us home. We pray in his name and for his sake. Amen.